Eisenhower's podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bogues, my co-host over here. This is Bill Powers here. This podcast is brought to you by Houdini Interactive, a local full-stack development wow. and design agency. Well, it's also brought to you by Speak Studios. And uh, we'll talk to bands, venues, basically anything music and marketing. We've had a lot of cool guests on here. This is episode six. Excited for today's episode. This is a very special episode. You know What we have here is yeah. Penn and Tony from Houdini Studio or Houdini Interactive. And these guys uh, started Houdini with uh, my co-host here, Matt Bogue. Oh, probably now, was it like two and a half years ago? And or maybe three. almost yeah. three now. So it's like a local creative uh, tech agency and... and uh, you know, Eyes and Ears is brought to you by Houdini. So, you know, there's a little cronyism here, just a touch, but not too much. You know, so, yeah, right, exactly. This is, uh, But, yeah, so we're just going to kind of, this episode, we're just going to kind of do a little deep dive into the world of Houdini, some of the cool projects that they worked on, some of the history about Houdini, and then just kind of the way that design interactive and experiential is going to work in COVID times and how it might start transferring and blending in the future here to come. And you guys are on the forefront of doing a lot of that kind of stuff. So we talk a little bit about marketing with that too. So yeah, they create all kinds of magic oh, yeah. in custom tech and design. So we're yeah. going to get this going. So this is going to be kind of a different, because usually with the guests, we don't know a lot about them. Um, obviously, we know a lot about you guys, but we're going to act like we don't know anything about you. We're going to go through the whole history of the TEU, kind of how you guys get involved in the in the industry that Houdini is in, and just kind of a little history of, of yourselves individually. So Yeah, maybe if, uh, like, Penn or Tony, why don't you tell me what you think, tell me about Houdini, tell me what it is from your perspective. I know I gave a sweet little intro there, but, you know, Penn, what, what's Houdini? Well, I always give this elevator pitch, so I'm going to kick it to Tony and <laughs> okay. be like, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, what is Houdini? Houdini Interactive. I'm still from Penn. We're a full-stack marketing agency um, all across the board. I really describe us as more of an um, interactive marketing agency when I was full-stack because that's been my interactive. That was the why we got into it. Like, my background's a little bit of hardware, software, and where those two collide, kind of the, the precipice of those two, and so... What we do is we try and take the normal and make it awesome when it comes to anything marketing, really. But we got into it for more of the physical installation side of it. So it's, you know, cool walls that are interactive or proximity sensors, yada, yada. But we've done a lot of cool virtual. And I need to be closer to the microphone. Oh, just a touch closer. You're so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, yeah, that, I like that that intersection between, you know, marketing, design, and this like experiential something having an experience on on a wall or something that's like visceral and trying to take tech and put it into the, a world where people can have an experience and yeah. yeah let's let's compare it to the elevator pitch um, <laughs> yeah yeah pen, pen the, what do you think houdini the, is the one like, liner yeah so <laughs> houdini interactive is a full service creative digital agency that specializes in experiential marketing and creating the blend of the physical with the digital to to bring smiles and emotion back into the interaction of humanity with a brand. Damn. Boom. Damn. So, Sold. That, that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> Our roles in the company right there. Um, so that kind of gives the listeners the quick elevator pitch, but I want we want to rewind this, yeah, you know, totally. bring it back to just kind of the history. And we'll, we'll start with Penn because uh, he has the sweet elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> uh, 
just kind of tell us how you got into the industry and just kind of your history and background behind that. Yeah. I got into the industry because of Matt and we were neighbors and I was in this kind of lull between jobs and Matt was working at a big agency here in town called 7-2 and he knew I was looking and he was like, oh, dude, the owners just are looking for someone. You'd be perfect. And so he connected us, did the whole interview process, started working there. And then I met Tony there because 7-2 and 14-4 are owned by the same people and in the same building. And so I was working on some side projects for the owners of 7-2. One was a website that connected um, teachers and educators to professionals to get professionals into the classroom so that students can learn more about the opportunities that are actually out there. What are real jobs? What is it like to have these real jobs? How do you get there? All those things. And uh, (coughs) the other two platforms I was managing, one was uh, decals that you put in cars to make it look like you had a pet in the back, but totally safe. Passenger (laughs) pets. Passenger (laughs) pets. And then the other was a, a philanthropic venture called uh, Good Oats. And it took the Tom's mentality of buy one, give one. So for every bowl of oatmeal that you purchased, they would donate another bowl to the, pardon me, the local food bank or to schools. And it was it was an amazing program. Mm. So I was managing those. Ultimately, I was unsuccessful to turn them into the next Tom's. And they shut the programs down. The day I was uh, informed of my layoff, I heard from another producer at 7-2, oh, I just was looking at this company in Liberty Lake. They do augmented reality. It's wild. You should check it out. And so I talked to my then boss. I was like, Tyler, what do you think of this company, man? What do you think of this position? Do you think I'd be a good fit? Do you think they'd be a good fit for me? He's like, oh, I know the owner. I'm going to email him right now. <laughs> and so he emails him, and I got laid off and hired at a new position within 24 hours. And so that's the really long story to say that's how I got started in the world that we're in and custom software development mm-hmm. and how that plays with marketing and how the, the interaction of individuals with these experiences is game-changing for brands in trade show environments boots on the street, your brand activations, uh, all those experiential marketing, quote unquote, things that you hear about, there's a digital component that has to go with that, whether it's the the social marketing campaign leading up to it, during it, and then the cool down afterwards and keeping it alive, or whether it's what we build on a day-to-day basis, that, that interactivity, and then the design all around that. Yeah, yeah, no, serious, that's cool. And so, like, you're talking... Um, so that was Gravity Jack that you got to work at, mm-hmm. and you got that job there. But somehow, all three of you ended up being at Gravity Jack, <laughs> and so and, and I'm not exactly Spokane, sure the man. timeline on that. So <laughs> you're there, you get to Gravity. Okay. Who was at Gravity? J- well, hey Tony, so what's like you now interject your yeah, okay. story in there? Mine's oh, every, I, I'm even. <laughs> yeah, let's weave this narrative. <laughs> Mine goes way back. Um, how far back do I go? I'll just go back to the beginning. Go, go back. Um, beginning Spokane I moved here from Salt Lake City um, for school the only reason I came out here 2001 and so now I've been here longer than I've been in Utah so I'm a Spokaneite 
Yeah. That's what we call ourselves. Welcome. Um, thank you. Feels good. Feels good. Got to remember the mic. Um, so Spokane, went to school for computer science. Got into computer science because I love problem solving. One thing I always did as a kid was take apart the vacuum. I was that guy who took it apart, put it back together, and I mm-hmm. had extra parts, which was, that's the best part about it. Um, so <laughs> loved it as a kid, love always solving problems. And then I got into school and as part of my business program that I was actually going down, there was a computer science course. I took it. The first program I ever wrote was how to solve elevator logic. Literally push a button. Where does it go first? And then once that one program fell in love with it, decided I wanted to switch career paths and, you know, go down computer science. Got into that. Got my first job as a telephone communication, like telephony company where we did networking and wires and does your, does your printer work? Like turn right. it off and on again. Yeah. That was my favorite IT call. How many cables are coming out of the back? We need two. Two cables. Find the second one. That was the <laughs> <laughs> figure that out. So then, yeah. So why weren't you under the desk plugging the mic? <laughs> yeah, I, right. I told you I found <laughs> it. I, saw, yeah, I yeah, see where it goes. Enough. I'm not going to do it. It's more of the, I'm in the director <laughs> role now. Yeah, you're the guest. You <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, yeah, t- uh, computer networking for a while. Then I got um, fortunate enough, and that place was called Access Telecom. They're still around. They do. Yeah, mostly just um, telephony and telephone networks. There's actually I got into. That for a little while was I learned all of the hardware side of it there. That was where I kind of first started integrating both the software and hardware. So we actually had to go around and I was crawling through the attic because I'm not a large man. And I got to be the guy running the cables in the suspended ceilings and behind the walls and stuff. And then um, worked there for a handful of years. Thankfully got a job or saw an opportunity at a place locally that unfortunately is out of business now called DigiDeal. And we made casino table games, which that was, I think had they not gone out of business, I probably would still be there. Mm. Because it was, we built everything from the ground up. We got to learn about actual electrical engineering there and manufacturing process as well as like servers and our own firmware. We wrote for a lot of like the ticket readers and um, it was a really cool cool company to work at. Like a lot of the actual people that we've all worked with in the industry all came from DigiDeal. Um, and so I worked there for seven years doing a myriad of back end, but a lot of front end animations, interactions for cards. You were and there for red. seven years? Yeah. I had no idea. I was there for a while. It was a good, good little spell. So I kind of like uh, earned my stripes there. So by the time I got to where I met you guys at 14, 4, and 7, 2, I was already a decade plus into my software career. Right. Yeah. So which is why, man, I'm a little older. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, then I, uh, after that, after that kind of, Writing on the wall, I was the last one who hung around there in my department. So there was 30 developers at one point, got down to three, one in every department. I was the last one. Gave them my, they didn't, they, I got the choice. I kind of saw the writing on the wall, left. Um, all my friends who were there were at 14.4. They called me up and said, Tony, come get an interview. So I literally went, met with the time, the managers there, and they just, that was like not even a real interview. It really was, oh, you're Tony? These guys vouch for you. Do you want a job? Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, I do. And so then, yeah, long story <laughs> short, I was there for a couple of years, um, met these two guys. And then eventually we get to Gravity Jack, but I might pass that off to, yeah, to Matt. To so Matt. Matt. Right. There. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. I pick that timeline back up. So yeah. I, was at, I was at Gravity Jack for three and a half, four years. And we got to this point where we had a little bit of overflow work. And then our main designer was leaving. He got a job at a really big agency down in Denver. And so I reached out to Matt. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And <laughs> uh, he contracted for one project. And then we we're like, dude, come on board. And so he jumped on board. About the exact same time, our COO, his name's Josh 
Abel, or the COO at the time, his name was Josh Abel, he was talking to Tony about becoming a front-end dev at Gravity Jack. And so I don't even know if there was like days difference or not even a week difference. Both Matt and Tony got hired on at Gravity Jack, and we were all working together for another year, year and a half, something like that. Yeah. And so I was there for just shy of five years before I oh, okay. left yeah. and ended up founding Houdini with the dudes. Well, that's cool. So, I mean, like, uh, we've told Matt's story before, so I don't think we need to throw no, in the, No one wants to hear about it. Throw in the, well, yeah, we hear about know, all you know, the time. We do. Well, you know, we heard it. But well, I, I do want to hear a story, but I want to integrate it into this moment. So now everybody's at Gravity Jack, and, and you're working there, but there's these uh, – I mean, as lots of people do, they get an itch to like maybe strike out on their own or do something, something that's just for them. And I have a, you know, it's like, I would like to hear, you know, quickly, I know, uh, I've heard it before, but you know, it's like, what was, you're at this moment where you're like, Hey, maybe it'd be fun to start something ourselves. How did that, how did that process work? Where, you know, it's like sitting around having beers or, you know, it's just like you're sitting on the toilet taking shit and all of a sudden you're just like, I need to start my own thing, you know, like. How yes. does that work? Yes. <laughs> yes. All, okay. of all, all of the above. <laughs> I'll go ahead, Penn. All right. So you're the guest. I, We're yeah, going to make okay. you guys talk. I, I'm good <laughs> at that. So here I go. Um, we, so I, I called myself a wantrepreneur for a long time. I have lots of, I, I stole that from someone else, by the way. That's not original. So you want. I wanted to be an uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I'd come up with tons of ideas and doing what I did, I was the director of digital production at Gravity Jack. And so I managed a lot of projects. I managed a lot of relationships and then I managed other project managers. And one thing that I noticed is that my philosophy of business didn't necessarily jive with the owners. Not to say that they were wrong in how they wanted to run their business. Sure, just yeah. The way I thought business should be run was different. And um, the way my philosophy was totally jived with Matt, totally jived with Tony. And so we were actually working on many projects, all three of us often together. And then a couple other people uh, in, in various ancillary roles to what we were working on as a core component. And so we're talking, we're just like, you guys, the only difference between us doing this for ourselves and doing it for other people is just getting the client. That's the only difference. We're going to do the mm-hmm. same work and do it how we think it should be done. And then ultimately, hopefully, make a lot more money. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. And But create really cool projects, work with really great people, and foster relationships and have long-lasting relationships <coughs> to, to continue to build rad shit. Rad shit with rad people. That's what I throw out there yeah. often. And uh, so we were at, oh gosh, I think it was Black Label Brewing Company in Saranac Commons. We're there working on a project, drinking some beers, and we're talking about some augmented reality stuff. We're doing it's like, oh, we're making magic. We're freaking Houdinis, you guys. And it's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Light bulb moment. What? And I so bet. Matt just threw a brand together. He's like, dude, here. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> totally that. unprompted. And uh, so we started talking about well, what does this actually look like? And then Tony, we're, we're talking with Tony. It's like we, we'd had 
Matt and I had had conversations, and then we'd had conversations with Tony. Tony and I had had conversations. It's like, you guys, let and, – and Tony was actually the one who instigated it. was like, dudes, like, what – what the fuck? Are, <laughs> are, are we going to do a business? Are you guys doing a business? Are we doing a business? Who's doing the business? Yeah, yeah. What, what's <laughs> yeah. going on here? And and then we we just hashed it out at a coffee shop. It's like, yeah, all three of us, we have the three main pillars of the company covered. We've got creative direction. We've got the technical director. We've got the, the managing director. And we all help each other out and overlap in our roles. And we... We had long discussions about the sales cycle, right? Mm-hmm. When you're Johnny One Trucking or there's two of you, you're going to get real busy and you'll have a lot of work going on, but you'll be so focused on all that work that you're not filling the pipe. And so you get this big dip. Then the S-curve gets really dynamic. Right. So by having us all working on the prospecting in addition to the team and then also managing the team, also doing the work, that S-curve becomes a much flatter line. And we don't have the, hurry up, we just got a lot of work, let's figure out how to do it. Oh, no, we have no work. Yeah, right. I would have to say that, like, uh, just watching from an outside perspective, or, you know, uh, and I was an inside perspective, obviously, because I did work for Houdini for a while, but um, is that, your attributes are oh are so well aligned to be working together to create the company that you have now. I mean, like you're saying, it's like uh, everybody's skill set is perfectly aligned to create like the mega, just like the the perfect balance of people and technology and skill sets that you need in order to build a company like Houdini. And so, I think when I I'm looking at it now, just hearing you guys talk about it, it seems like, man, that is just like the perfect crew to have started something like this. And yeah. it's like, and it, it's really crazy. Thanks, I man. feel like we kind of lucked out. Right. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, anything you'd see in life and the successes you have, it's like you have to, it's not luck, you know, it's really just kind of like the forces, whatever you think, yeah, you know, right. kind of brought people together and, and at the r- exactly the right time and the right moment. And then it's what you do with that, you know, that makes it what it is. But um, talk about like the, the process. It's, it's funny. Like I'm <laughs> talking about the, the, the process that we, but that y'all took um, kind of in the, the beginnings of Houdini because like some companies start off and they're like, we need to get client and, and just like fill the bucket with clients and don't really talk about process or talk about, you know, business structure or strategy. Um, but, uh, you guys kind of jump yeah. in and just kind of talk about that kind of first year. Yeah. I'll, I'll go real quick. Cause yeah. I was, um, I'm in a little different situation than these two is that I have children. And so they both jumped ship earlier on in Houdini's career than I did. It's like we started the company Penn jumped early and he's like, I got this. So he started running with the brand Matt made, setting up the business license. And then we started talking about um, and having weekly meetings going over the process and the procedure and knowing that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right and set ourselves up for success and growth. Because if we don't spend the time early creating those procedures and processes, as Penn says, <laughs> um, then it's just we're going to get to the point where we hit those, we're going to hit the wall because we're going to be so busy that the th- stuff's going to fall through the cracks. And if we don't take care of the the little minute, you know, details early on and plan for those, mm-hmm. then we won't be there. So I got to watch um, and be a part of it. I helped with the process, but definitely like Matt and Penn were 
there early on hitting the streets, talking about Houdini before Houdini was a thing. Like, you know, with your guys' network and your who's who of friends and, you know, community, it was great to watch you guys run around. Matt's network. Matt's, Matt's got a big network. <laughs> 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 you just got to, you just got to act big till you get there. Yeah, you know? No, it, um, yeah, it's been, it was cool to watch. Like the early on, like we definitely made sure we did it right. Cause like we've all run, run businesses. I mean, Matt and I've had our own in the past and, you know, Penn ran Gravity Jack for five years. And, like, we've been in the situation where we know he did. He's shaking his head. Well, he thanks. Um, <laughs> we, we know what it takes to run the day-to-day, and then what it takes to get there is obviously hard work. And I think that we were lucky, and it was a little serendipitous on, honestly, how we came together as a group. And, I mean, we'd all known each other for years, but I never thought a couple years ago that I'd be sitting here, let alone business partners with two badass dudes who I love. I'm gonna get all mushy later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Make me cry, man. Yeah. No, it was <laughs> it, it was really awesome to watch. And so the process of it, I'll let you get in the details of the process, Penn, but it was really cool to watch and make sure we were very cognizant and focused early on on setting up the processes and procedures for for the future growth, hopefully, right? We just kind of yeah, spent right. time. And well, and then I think that's like uh again, I'm speaking from experience here that I think you guys um really did make purposeful efforts to have a good process, a good communication. And, and it's actually, even though, uh, and it's helped me in my professional and even a little bit in my personal life, watching how you guys developed your business and seeing the way that you've done it. And, uh, so, I mean, like just as a friend, I'll say, I'm like really proud of you guys. Cause I like I'm super stoked on you Thanks, on the way man. you've done it. And, uh, but, and then in, in that, maybe you could pen if you want to maybe describe like, Maybe you can juxtapose, like, what was it that you thought was important in Houdini that could differentiate, that's different than the norm or something about Houdini that's like, what's what's the thing? You talk about these processes, right, that you're doing in order to make a better company or to make a, a really, a, a company with uh, values and ethos and a work ethic that works with for for the company. Like, what are those things? What are a couple, a couple things about that? Yeah. Um. So I'm going to start broad and then narrow in, and it'll make sense by the time I get done with I like it. what I'm going to say. So there, there are some leadership philosophies around treating an employee like a customer. And in our industry, it is really common to grind, like the agency life. Mm-hmm. Hashtag agency life. Right. And there's, there is a definite association with grinding through all the time and working all the time. And uh, we've all experienced that as employees. And that doesn't create a good feeling for yourself Yeah, when you're working. The quality of your work probably isn't going to be the highest. You're working with really talented and crazy cool people all the time, but... <laughs> you always hear people talk about work-life balance. Right. When you're grinding so hard, the balance often isn't there in the agency life. <clears throat> and we, we've we all worked in various systems of approach for processes and how those are managed and even seen in one company changes in the process to to accommodate different platforms to try yeah. to make to make something more efficient. So when we set up our systems and we set up our thought processes, 
what we were thinking was our team is really who we are. What we can create is because of the people that we work with and the people who, who create. Yeah. And we have to take care of them. We have to treat them like a customer. We have to help them have the boundaries right. to, to have the balance. And sometimes we fail, but setting up the processes and the communication methods to say, okay, we're going to do this work. Here's how we work. This is what you can expect. Make it very clear with the clients. And on the backside of things, we'll have all of our all of our project management, our task management set up, how that flow works, how the team interacts interdisciplinarily. That's a word. Yeah, it sounds and like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how the projects get from start to finish, the documentation thereof, to have it very efficient because that saves time and that makes the company money, that makes the client happy, that fosters the relationship, and then the balance can occur. Mm-hmm. So right. narrowing it, narrowing it in right, a little right. bit more, making sure that our employees are taken care of, our team is taken care of as best as we possibly can, like I said. Sometimes, you know, projects are projects, deadlines are deadlines, so you, you have to make it happen. But we, in my opinion, and I think everybody agrees here, we've done a pretty darn good job of having a lot of those boundaries in place. Yeah. Um, and then another difference that we have that I see in terms of process is we've got the same thing as a base. And then there are minor nuances that we're making over time as we're doing projects and we're learning from them and learning from our clients of what worked, what didn't work, and then our internal input from the team of how to make our process as efficient as possible. Yeah. And, you know, our, our team is really good at managing what they do and the, the interactions that they have within the company as well as with our clients. And uh, it's, it's made it so that we can create it to be efficient. Right. And... Not to not to call on our internal experience, but I mean we've seen some of these large companies who we just look at it and watch in wonderment, thinking, "How do these people get shit done? Like yeah, this is exactly this is bonkers." <laughs> and yeah. Oh yeah, like, definitely right. Yeah. Hours upon hours upon meetings upon meetings that they waste, and we could, we did it in two hours, and it took them five days. Yeah, that's what I, 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 and again, I'm just going back on my experience watching you guys put this together and that ethos that you were trying to create. And what I actually think is the coolest part about that is that you, you didn't, you weren't, you weren't able to avoid all the pitfalls of what happens at agencies in that grind that still happened to some degree. And what, what's important, it, it wasn't, it's just that I think the important thing is that you you stuck to this ethos and you plowed through it. And even though there was some ups and downs where it's like, sometimes it's still, there was still a bit of a grind here or there. You, it wasn't that you 
it, I think what differentiates a company like Houdini is that you don't allow that to just, just become the norm. It's going to happen. There's going to be deadlines. It's going to, there's things that are going to happen. It's not that you never, you never hit speed bumps. It's just that once you got past them, you learned and you kept moving on and you kept growing. And that's, uh, I think, an important thing that I saw when I was there and watching you guys as we continue to, as you guys continue to grow is that you, is that's the ethos. It's not, it's not, I set it up. So we never fail. It's that like I set it up so that when you hit a bump in the road or when, the, or when things get hard, you, you learn and you can keep going and then you get back to the, to the level ground. So anyway, that's just me oh, preaching to the choir. That's, perfect. So. that's it. A hundred percent. One thing I do appreciate about our team and what we do is we learn from our mistakes. And I know that's, kind of cliche, but I love that we have sunsets on every project. We try and do them externally with the client. Sometimes they don't want to have that external one. We just roll into the next project. Um, but we always have an internal one and go over and go over that. The pitfalls, where did we run into? Where can our process be streamlined and um, you know, made better? Because I know a lot right. of times we, you know, you were there, you got to experience some of those, those pitfalls. And I think that um, what we've done and we know that our process mm -hmm. is not perfect and it will always change. Um, but that's the, beauty about it too is that it will always change and we're always ready to pivot to the next to try and make it more efficient for ourselves and the and clients yeah totally 100 yeah. percent um so let's <clears throat> i guess let's uh a question about um what would you tell somebody you know starting a business um because we've been at it for, for a couple of years still pretty fresh but i think this is a good time like you always ask that from people that have been in business for like 20 years but I think we're fresh on it and we're seeing those like pitfalls like super quick and, and pivoting pretty quick. Like what are the areas that, um, I don't know, what kind of advice would you give somebody starting a business? <laughs> um, guys, I will probably, we can go back and forth. I'll do one. You do one. I like it. Um, <laughs> uh, don't give up. I know it, it's mm -hmm. scary as shit and you have to, it's like that sink or swim mentality. Like you just have to go for it. And we work a lot of hours. Like we have the first while, like we've burned the midnight oil more than once. And that really is not that that's the differentiator, but it really is what helps just drive it home is that we know what needs to be done and we're going to work until we get it done. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did, I mean, fast rewind to Unifest before Houdini even was a thing. All four of us, climbing around on Matt's <laughs> geodome until 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> hanging lights because we yeah. thought, like, we wanted to get this done for the show the next day. And literally, like, all f I mean, that was first time I really hung out with you. Yeah. Well, it was climbing around a geodome <laughs> at 4 in the morning downtown Spokane. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, yeah, but, like, we got it done, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, know your worth because your time, if you're starting a business, your time is extremely valuable and opportunity costs can be like impossibly high. Yeah. And I, in our world, the creative world, especially it is really common for people to just do work to build out their portfolio. And yeah, you can do that a little bit, but don't do it for free. Right. Be very strategic about what projects you take on where you're going to take a loss and even we've we've straight up communicated that to clients sometimes. Hey, we're going to take this project. This is a lot lower of a value in a budget than we would normally take this. But we, the way we phrased it for some projects is we, we're going to use some of our marketing budget to offset the cost yep. 
of our loss with this project because we believe in the strategic value that that this product is going to to gain for not just our relationship and you but for us as a company and the yeah, work that totally. we get out of this so indicating that just because i'm going to do this for less here's what it's actually worth and then communicating the value of that project dollars wise and benefit to the client to future people as well and we, we've learned a lot of lessons about how to price out projects and we're still literally <laughs> learning on the daily <laughs> right but, oh yeah but one of the things that we we try to account for and we we watch a, an amazing video and i don't even remember who who it was from but about what's the value to the client and cr and adjusting your verbiage and language about the value of your time in comparison to the value of the end result for the client. Right. I do remember watching that video and that's oh. like critical. I mean, it like not having uh, like, a you know, like uh, a value isn't, you know, making a logo for Nike versus making a logo for a restaurant downtown exactly. is going to be significantly different. And, and, and you don't, and that's about understanding your value for what you're bringing to that company. And that's like, again, a great lesson to learn. And it's like, I mean, like I still do that on some of like my side projects or even the work that I do is like, is being able to recognize what the value is of my work or, and, and doing, and, and that, and that's not an easy thing to do, but that video, yeah, I wish I could remember what it was, but it's yeah. extremely hard because often like we can do something in a few hours that will take somebody else a week. And do we charge just a few hours for it? Right. Yeah, that's exactly. like, you know, like some of the things, because we've spent years cultivating our technologies and our, our experience really. And then like, yeah, I can knock out a task from the client in a couple hours versus somebody in their basement, which I'm working in my basement now, so that doesn't really <laughs> count. But, yeah. um, right, like having that, uh, yeah, like what is it worth? And that's that's hard because you do, when you're first starting out in a company, you want the work and you want the projects. So you're like, oh, I'll do it for X, right? So it's a really small number when it's right. like, well, you know, take into account all the experience you have, and I will do it twice as fast, and it'll be twice as good. And is that four times the amount? I mean, that doesn't matter. But, yeah, yeah. Trying, to, trying to, that's the hard part, trying to know your worth and then sticking to it because it's hard to sell that sometimes if you don't have experience doing it. Yeah, totally. And making yeah. some callbacks, setting up the process mm -hmm. so that you can do it efficiently to maximize your value. Mm -hmm. That's that was that's super clutch. Yeah, and yeah, totally. Carrying on that with the process, one thing I love about the way we've done it is the consistency side of it. So no matter whom you talk to at Houdini, um, if I pull up a brand new product that I haven't touched, I can while I'm even like sharing my screen and showing the client something, I know exactly where to go to find said resource and where, you know, like you just, everyone knows it inherently because we follow our structure and our process set up. We know exactly where things live and how to, how they function. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. That's cool. We've been kind of talking about the history. We've been talking about the process, but what I would like to talk about is I, I want to give people some more context. I want people to know some of the stuff you've been doing. So uh, to take all of this and then put it into and, and be able to frame it into like, what kind of projects have you been doing? What kind of interactive things have you been doing? What kind of virtual things have you been doing that are really cool that can really describe what Houdini does in a, in a more real way than just an idea about 
Because when you tell people something like, hey, we do experiential marketing or, you know, where design and <laughs> physical meets virtual, you're just <laughs> like, uh, okay, you know, it's like, Sometimes that sounds like a platitude or something, you know. Yeah. But How many other buzzwords can we throw in? Yeah, there? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right? So I mean, like, I think I think our listeners would like, as a context, like maybe tell talk about. I'm just thinking some of the cool stuff that you've done. Some we can actually say the name of the company and we've worked on it. Others we may have worked on products like those companies. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know. Um, <laughs> Tony, talk, you talk about Gonzaga because um, you you Gonzaga put some sweat and tears in that. That was a, a lot of work in three weeks. Um, that was great. We got to work with Gonzaga University. Like, so what was the premise of this job in the first place? Um, it was. Uh, this is my elevator pitch. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm really gonna make up for the last one. Uh, this one was to celebrate the team. Um, in social distancing you know, format, right? Because one thing that they usually do for the team when they do well as they had this year was a record-breaking year for Gonzaga. It was really awesome to be a part of it in any aspect, even being in Spokane. Right. Um, but we got to celebrate and help the university and the community of Gonzaga celebrate the team in a social distancing safe way remotely, essentially. So we built a virtual platform for them. Um, and we got to flex a lot of chops on this. Like We've done a lot of projects very similar to this for companies that you might know telecommunication companies, really big, can't say the names, they were white labeled. Um, no, well, this one was, uh, uh, it was really cool. We got to go in there um, and shoot a bunch of 360 degree video and pictures of the MacArthur Athletic Center and the Hemmingson Center and um, the Bulldog Room. And Jack and Dan's. Jack and Dan's. And kind of just the iconic locations for the university and the students and put together a virtual experience of that. So we have partners for things that we don't do every day, and one of those we leveraged for the, some of those shots. Um, but what we did in software is we tied all that together. So now you go to this website, still up, final4.gonzaga.edu, I believe. Um, yep. And so the premise was we literally, I mean, rewind beginning of April? I think it was. Anyways, we had like three weeks because if they made it to the final four, we had to have this ready. So it was like, right. I mean, 80-hour work weeks. You know, this is when we grind through people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was really like so a lo- great virtual experience, and on top of that, not only just do you get to tour the university and the iconic locations, but there was um, some fun social interactive pieces. Like we had, we built the um, from scratch photo booth where you got to, you know, take a picture and share it with the crowd and get added to a large billboard of other pictures and be part of the community. Kind of trying to create that community in a time when community is strained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we built a fun little basketball game from scratch as well, where it was like this buzzer beater, and that was. Unfortunately, we didn't get as many plays on that as we would have liked. I think hindsight will market that a little bit harder. But that was, for me, one of the funnest parts to build and play on was um, basketball. Games. Agreed. Just, that was it, like my favorite part, too. So fun, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that was, uh, we'll have to send a link or put it in the podcast. Yeah, yeah totally. Link, link below. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look down at the link below. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, it's audio. It's just audio. Yeah, I know. No link, link, link below. below. Uh, <laughs> that was. Uh, what was the other big chunk? Oh, oh, live stream. Shoot. That was a fun one, too. So um, Matt, as you know, from you know, he's a DJ, and he loves you know, music in general, and it was cool to um, tap on some other local talent and you know put together a live DJ stream on the website where there were giveaways, and it was just this, like, during the actual Final Four and leading up to it, um, we had a live DJ, you know, commentating about, you know, the tournament and getting people involved, and we had videos being released from, you know, higher-ups in the organization's general just to kind of promote the team and community and so it was cool to be a part of that 
and build it in the timeline we pulled that off. And that was one of those, like, when you're done with it, you just sit back and be like, holy shit. Right. Yeah. We just did that. (laughs) We we actually did did that. It (laughs) it didn't fail. It worked. And so um, technically there was a lot of hurdles we had to get over in that short amount of time. Um, And, yeah, the team pulled it off. Awesome. Yeah, I thought that experience was just awesome. And I thought it, um, I mean, the, the basketball game and the 360 tours of the different buildings. And it's especially fun for people if you hadn't gone to Jack and Dan's in a while. Or I bet, like, if I was a former student and I was like, I, I graduated 10 years ago, I lived somewhere else and I saw that and I'm like, oh, I'm virtually touring Jack and Dan's. Man, you know, I probably just like virtually get a hangover from remembering how much I drank there or something, <laughs> you know, like. Right. <laughs> I loved it. So just some highlights about it. Uh, the the photo booth, so Jack and Dan's, we had two experiences inside of Jack and Dan's. One was the photo booth, and the other was a bar for a cause. So at a typical event like this, they would have made a lot of money, in reality, off of alcohol sales. Can't do it, but they still want to have some way for people to donate. That, that was a re- requirement for the project. So Matt had the idea for a bar for a cause, in a virtual bar for a cause inside of Jack and Dan. So you can pick your different drinks. They had a bunch of fun names for them, some animations with it. And then it would take you to a donations page where you, quote unquote, bought some drinks. And right, then yeah. it, went, it went straight to Gonzaga and some various funds that you could pick from. Uh, the other experience was the photo booth, which in... This was only really active for four days. They won. They got into the final four. They won, and they were like, oh, crap. We have to have these other experiences for the national championship game. So from final four day to championship game, four-day stretch, we had 700 photos that were submitted, and we had to moderate them. But, yeah, 700 photos that were submitted. We had something like 250,000 people, page views, that were yeah. going through in four days. For something that was only marketed for seven days, and then um, the the email campaigns that were associated with that. So the so amount of cool. traction that we got, yeah, from the numbers are great. Bonkers, oh. yeah. For for how quick a turnaround it was, and how short a like lifespan it had. Really quick uh, plug, and you'll plug this at the end too. But plug where people can go check out, you know, details on this experience and that where that link is. <laughs> down below. <laughs> uh, Houdini.studio is where you can go to see, A, more about Houdini as a company and what we do, but there's also an our work section to where you can see the platform, link to the platform, and then get the, the hard stats of the interactivity that happened. Yeah, no, that's great. I think, I think there's a... If you guys want to uh, talk about a little, I think uh, a project that you did kind of early on in Days of Houdini, which I think also will really capture the kind of interactivity that you want between the virtual and the real space is the Mount St. Helens project that you guys did. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that was a little earlier on, and I think visually and technically you're doing things that are even more complex now, but that actually has, I think, uh, the, the future of where you're trying to go really represents that because it was... You kind of launched that right before COVID happened, or was it? That was probably our first experiential kind of project that the three of us got to work on as Houdini. Yeah, Yeah. so if you guys want to, like, 
Yeah, explain, explain for it was for the Museum of Arts and Culture down yep. in Brown's Edition here in Spokane, Washington. Is you had uh, a Mount St. Helens experience and they had go, yeah. go for it. All right, we'll talk. Fortieth um, year anniversary, right, of Mount yeah. St. Helens erupting and. Well, um, for the design side, I'm going to speak from out here. We got to brand the whole booth and experience, which was really cool to see, right? We got to exhibit. Exhibit. Sorry, exhibit. sorry, not the experience, the entire exhibit. So, Matt, I know um, he spent a good chunk of hours um, putting that up, together. Putting together as well as he, ba- he made it so they could produce those. So, we obviously build templates and stuff for their team, but we got to do brand the whole exhibit, which was really cool. And then we got to take that into our digital experience, which was. Um, Three pieces. I mean, technically, it's three pieces. There's a server that you could actually um, crowdsource um, memories, critical memories, I believe is what it was called, mm-hmm. similar to that, where people who actually experienced it 40 years ago could log into a website we built and submit pictures and videos and stories. And and then um, they, you know, those were moderated by the museum themselves. And then they were served up to an actual physical experience that an exhibit that we put in the, bo- in the museum right. itself, which was really cool. It was a fun little interactive um, two-screen experience. By two screens, you touch a a tablet to then control a large projection on a wall or a large TV. And so through the tablet that's, you know, fed from the server, you got to actually control what you saw on the large screen, Um, playing audio, video, pictures, stories. And, um, I mean, technically it was really fun to work on. It was cool to see it in Spokane and, you know, as as a group. Like, it was kind of one of those fun little projects where it's like, okay, let's let's do this. So I'll paint the picture just Mm. a little bit more. So, so technical so explanation and now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the dream. Uh, so as you walk down the ramp there, so in the Mac, there's a ramp that goes down to the big main area. So as you're walking down the ramp on the right side, there was, uh, I think it was two or three panels, a three, two or three panel three. big mural that was a collage that Matt made of all the news clippings from around the time that Mount St. Helens erupted. And it, it painted a story. And uh, kudos to, to Freya at the MAC for, for kind of casting the vision for how to break it up. Like the the lead up, the eruption, and then the aftermath. And so Matt, Matt took the branding that he created and made these collages of all of the news clippings. And so people could stand there and, and read that. And then right behind that or across the hallway or ramp was the entrance to the exhibit. And there's a big, I want to say it's like 10 by 10 by 12, huge poster that was the the welcome graphic mm-hmm. for the exhibit that Matt created. And then all the signs associated throughout the exhibit for for the informational pieces, informational plus graphics, and then whatever other call-outs there needed to be and directions for the exhibit. And then right behind that welcome graphic on the other side of the wall was the Mount St. Helens uh, virtual experience where, as Tony described, there was a tablet set a few feet, four or five feet maybe, out from this wall that a projector is casting uh, a stream of the server. It's actually a 3D environment of Mount St. Helens that's smoldering. You can see the smoke coming up. There are post-it notes that are swirling around in this cloud and kind of chaos around right, yeah. the mountain. And from this... Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, oh. It did make that noise. <laughs> <laughs> from, from the tablet, you could tabulate or scroll through 
uh, either audio, visual, uh, audio, image, or video that people had submitted through this microsite that they distributed of their personal memories and their personal videos and images uh, that they captured from the eruption. And once you select the one that you want to see, the post-it note out of the swarm around the mountain would fly up into full frame and you could read it or watch it or look at the picture yeah. in full frame from this projector. And it was it, it had to have been like a ten foot wide projection at least. It wasn't monstrous, but it was, it was it was quite large. Big enough so that it wasn't just you who was experiencing it. You could hear and experience it yourself, but everybody else was watching what you were doing to gain interest and then have the same experience. Yeah. And, and what I love about the Mount St. Helens one as uh, as an idea is that it's, t- to me, it's like it's taking something that you would think, like uh, w- when you're talking about taking something virtual and something visceral or something, it's just like, I can imagine me going, it's like I, I went to my grandma's house and she showed me, a, opened up her photo book and was like, I remember back in 1980 <laughs> when Mount St. Helens exploded, right? But you, now you're taking that memory that's usually in like a physical space and then you just put it into this amazing a like virtual space, right? And that's like, to me, at least how Houdini, how what a Houdini ascribe, uh, you know, like um, wants to be, is that that I feel like that's the kind of like this like really small experience put into a big into a big platform, and that's what I kind of liked about that uh, Mount Saint Helens experience. But yeah, no, I mean, just bringing together all those stories um, and having a kind of a really easy way for even older people to like just log on and and give their story like we got a lot of submissions on that right and it was cool and they still keep coming in um and the exhibit's not even happening anymore you know um well they (laughs) aren't coming in anymore the the site's down but shut the server down yeah yeah um (laughs) but for months after the 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 marketing of the submission was done we were still getting submissions that's cool yeah um, I, I want to talk about, because this is a cool thing and a cool thing we talk about at Houdini a lot. Um, when you create experiences like that, um, it's not just a one-off. You talk about like productizing, you know, experiences and digital stuff and the thought process behind that. Yeah. So do you want to go? I'll start and then you, you fill you in. You do the descriptive one and I'll do the technical. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, this goes back to a question you asked earlier about how do we want to do things differently? And one of the things that we saw about working for other agencies is all the one-offs. You know, you do this one-off thing and then it's done. You might learn the lessons. You might have the knowledge about it, mm-hmm. but only the people that did it have that knowledge. So if you don't memorialize it somewhere, it's gone when that person is gone. And there's so many cool projects that we've built throughout the years that never never get to see the light of day again. It gets put on the shelf and it collects dust from then on, and then it becomes a distant memory. So what we wanted to do is all these projects that we're doing, not only can it be repurposed for the client, but there's a base functionality that we've created that can then be reapplied for multiple other clients, like the, the photo booth that we built for Gonzaga as a prime example, in addition to Mount St. Helens, is 
why don't we make this a bolt-on experience in this world where we're going to have to have virtual environments in addition to the physical environments, Mm -hmm. at least for the next year, probably longer. Why not have a bolt-on experience of a photo booth to make available to the people that are physically there, but also virtually there and share, share the experience in some way. A lot of people call it the hybrid experience. So yeah, we have a bolt on experience now. Anybody for any event through web, so it's platform agnostic. Doesn't matter if you're a Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, or Instagram user. You now can just go to a simple website through a QR code, capture the the experience and the emotion, save it to your device and to your device, and then share it across whatever platform. So we we try to take every project that we do and either componentize what we've built out of it or turn what we've built as a product into our own platform that can then be reapplied or applicable to n number of clients. Right, totally. Yeah, that was really well said. I don't know what I have to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'll, a little bit. Um, absolutely. Like That kind of goes back to our processes earlier, is that every project in our sunset is we pick apart it from a development point of view what pieces are now can be componentized and what ones are going to be reusable and which ones leverage even an internal project. So this photo booth one, we're actively internally building out a really badass one um, link below (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that we're going to, yeah, like we're, we're finding ways to then, yeah, turn these into fun on the shelves, proof of concepts, like actual products that we can then bolt on to any other side or experience to then, yeah, in the future here, what we were going to see is a lot more hybrid experiences. Stuff starting to open back up. People are getting vaccinated and we're going to still see people who aren't, aren't there and they want to be a part of it. And so now actually building that physical installation of a photo booth where you can walk, you know, take a picture with your friends and family, share it up to the website or a big billboard in the location. But I can also do that from the comfort of my own home. Right. And, but having those and what pieces of those are componentized. So the Mac exhibit we have now a screen that controls another screen. Simple as that. We have a two-screen experience, you know, pretty smart and simple, but we have that and then can be used to control the photo booth, to control that basketball we were talking about earlier for Gonzaga. I can shoot that basketball hoop from my phone onto the Jumbotron in the MacArthur Athletic Center, you know, like... And the simple server. And the sim- yeah, right? Like, there's just, like, taking those, and that's part of our processes and what we do after every sunset, on every sunset. Yeah. We sit down and walk through and be like, okay, what... What leverages more thought and more and more fine tuning to then help us be more efficient for ourselves and for our, our client? Yeah, totally. And and, and that actually um, leads me. I, I want to ask too about like what you think the future of that hybridization is going to look like, because with COVID and and all the attendant problems that came with that, as obviously we switched to virtual for a whole year. It was just like, let's just do everything virtual as much as we can. But now, you know, you guys have a lot of clients that have like big conferences that were canceled. And so they're doing them virtually, but I think throughout, and it, you know, if you can speak to this, like what the future of this is going to look like a little bit more, because now I think people see the value of the virtual experience. And, but now that the, now that the like in-person experiences are coming back, they don't want to let go of the virtual either. And so now it's going to get hybridized in a way that, and it doesn't just need to be like, well, if, you, if you're if you sick, you can't come. But now it's about, they actually see the value in like, uh, now you have a conference and you know 3,000 people will come to it, but there may be 10,000 people 
that want to see it virtually or and then how do those people connect and interact with the people there physically i mean like i feel like that's like a great uh, you know to me that's like a very interesting part of it but i don't know uh, it's been a while if you guys want to speak to that at all you know that's exactly it. I think that's the problem a lot of people are trying to solve right now. Honestly, is what, and it really depends on the experience. But yeah, finding that hybrid approach, and I think it's going to be a combination of um, some, you know, actual screens slash like that 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 centralization of data. And so it is going to be something at the location that maybe it's an experience you do physically there, but that same experience is going to be mirrored digitally. Mm -hmm. And you know, and we right. do use a lot of web technology, so that just kind of leverages that plays well in all situations. Um, but like I think Penn mentioned earlier, like that photo booth or the, you know, having um, something physically happen at the location and I'm being able to do that at my own home. And then there is a central location where that's all shared and a part of it. And whether that's a live stream camera, because we do a bunch of live streams and we've done um, in the past for some larger companies, like tying those together. And honestly, I don't quite know what that's going to look like yet. And we're, I think that's still trying to be solved by the industry at large because mm -hmm. not a lot of events have really opened up yet as far as some of the clients we work with. Um, they're starting to, and there's conversation about it. And so we're on that precipice of finding that fine line between having both. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We've had multiple conversations about, well, ideation around what could we do? What might be fun? What, what would people care about? And I mean, we're, we're always coming up with ideas of crazy. Ideas for days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Link below. <laughs> um, um, Inside joke, folks. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but different, different ways that people can engage from their home. So we bring up the idea of the two-screen experience. So there, the, the Mount St. Helens example is one already proven way that people are going to have a two-screen experience. But people are conscious of touching other things now, right? And getting things that other people have touched. So if you're going to go somewhere for an experiential marketing experience, why not use the power of your own device to control something that's happening externally from you, whether that's a giant screen where you're playing a game like the basketball experience mm -hmm. for the final four for Gonzaga, you could shoot from your phone and have your controls on the phone happening on a, a 300 foot tall building. Like how, how right. freaking cool would that so be? So cool. Super fun. And at the same time, my phone's controlling the same screen. Yeah. So we, we could have 20 people all shooting basketballs at the same hoop at the same time and all of our avatars shown at the bottom showing where we're shooting from and sponsored by um, Nike. Houdini Interactive. Houdini Interactive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Link below. <laughs> uh, but, or, so, so there's the, I've got my personal device, I'm controlling something that's happening externally from me. That can be me physically being there or I could be in the comfort of my own home in my underwear controlling something that's happening at the physical trade show booth at an exhibit. Right. Like how wild would that be? Nobody knows I'm in my underwear, but <laughs> I'm doing something and other people are reacting to what I'm doing. I'm influencing something that is totally external to myself in, in a fun and engaging way. And I mean, we've talked about how we could have rails inside of 
a location that has a camera on it so that you could tour a location totally, totally, totally separate from totally detached, totally virtually. And then we're at this crazy time in our world where connectivity is just getting heightened and heightened and heightened. Like the, the, the advent of 5g that makes a lot of the hurdles that we're up against for these hybrid experiences, a non-issue. And Mm. so when you have a density of people at an experience, you can't have the real-time connectivity that you would hope for for some of the visions that we have. But we're yeah. about to the point where we could we could have real-time everything all the time. It's a exciting time to be in tech, right? Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. that's, like you said, the, the cool part about Houdini and the industry that you're in is that the ideation, you know, and it's what other industry can you just be like, Hey, we could do this. We could do that. Um, and have all these crazy wild ideas with tech and with devices. And, you know, there's so much possibility, endless possibility almost, um, with what you can do and just like kind of explain that ideation and feeling behind that. And then I think we need to jump into just kind of where people can find Houdini and just highlighting the areas that are up and coming in tech um, for the listeners to kind of keep an eye out for. Yeah. Um, what was the question? That's again? like five <laughs> questions. <laughs> <in one Yeah>. <laughs> so the first one, I mean, just, just talk about the ideation of, of building the idea because we've done a lot of things to where we think of crazy ideas that may not exist and then we just create them. Yeah. So just the excitement around that. Yeah, and honestly, this is why I got into computer science. Like, that is the, the question is why, like, anything you can think of, you can pretty much model with a computer. Like, like and that, like, you can, vis- if you can visualize it and think of it, you can make it so, which is fucking crazy. Um, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, our ideation sessions, I mean, I honestly, that's one of the parts about our job that I truly love the most is those ideation meetings with either just internal or with the client where we come up with some crazy cool shit. And it's just like, how do we solve this problem? And that's the one part about it is like, here's the problem. Is it trying to get people excited about a product? Is it trying to get people involved, um, you know, to bring the community together in a time when you can't be together? And so how can we solve that problem, right? Okay, we need to get people together visually then if we can't get people together physically. So what do we do? Okay, photo booth, video. Like you kind of start just running down those paths. And so the ideation sessions are a lot of fun. And I do, um, that's back to the just quick sidebar, um, back to the like when you get into starting your own company, ideation sessions like have those brainstorms like get a big ass notepad and jot stuff down and don't be afraid to think of just the crazy cool things because eventually like you're gonna get to make them like i mean we have so many ideas um that we never get to to do but dude i was literally gonna bring up that same point about starting your own (laughs) business like yeah fucking dream yeah all the time And, and document it because at some point it will make sense and if it doesn't if that initial idea itself isn't what you end up making, that inspires other ideas. Or you, you think of how it applies to some other problem, and then you find a totally different solution. Like those, those dreams and those ideas and those goals, they, they, they're not impossible. They just formulate different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Totally. Oh, I love that. Creative yeah. juices. It's fun. Um, so types of tech that some people may not know that's out there, but just talk about some that you're excited about. I mean, I know AR is one of them, but uh, just talk about, you know, the up and coming tech that people should look out for. Yeah. I mean, I'm just go with web technologies and I know it's, that's been around a while now and we're, but the one thing I'm excited about is I never was a web person and I honestly didn't like it. I used to write Windows services for telephony systems and networks. Very boring. You never got to actually see it do its thing. But um, if the phone rang, you know it worked, which is not that exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, But necessary. But necessary. Thank you. But no, then now like with the way web is catching up to physical applications and we're seeing a lot of adoption for more web things. Like don't stay, you know, build iOS and Android applications, like build Mac and Windows apps. Like if you're into software, do all that stuff and learn how to do those. But um, the way web technologies are taking off um, with web AR specifically is it's quickly catching up to phones and or to the actual applications, native applications. You have access to lower level, you know, libraries. What does what AR mean? Augmented reality. Um, so basically, <laughs> you take your camera and you feed digital content through it in real space. And the cool thing, what we're finding now is you can tie that to a real world object. So it doesn't just feel fake, like a sticker on the screen. It actually, you walk around the room and point your camera at the table. You actually see the orientation and position change, right? Six degrees of freedom. Of fr- six degrees of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Getting nervous. Um, yeah, I, I, web AR is coming a, a long ways. And I know it's still kind of gimmicky for a lot of people because it is that little hokey extra bit that, you know, most companies want like, here, here's who I am, here's what I do. Here's my information. Get a hold of me, right? And right. so it's kind of that is still a hard sell for a lot of people. Is like we want to build you something that costs five times as much, but it's cool, right? And then that's the sell, which would Penn and Matt come in. Um, <laughs> it's going to happen so fast where it's uh, when the like web AR becomes just a little bit simpler. Is that everybody? It's like this is the easiest way to differentiate yourself from everybody else, and you want to be the one of the first ones to do it. Yeah, and it's yeah. the cool thing about web, and what I was trying, I'm going to get to eventually. Is that um, there's no use, there's no adoption to it, right? An application exactly. is a commitment, and people nowadays like aren't they commitment phobics or whatever. But it's uh, I don't want to download an app for a thirty second interaction. Mm-hmm. I'll visit a website, right, all day. Exactly. And uh, so having that experience launched off a QR code. Now everyone's used to you know the functionality of a QR code. Scan it, launch it, play with it, forget about it, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of the nature we're in. It's that instant gratification, but web gets us there. And so I don't know, so I'm excited about a lot of the web technologies um, in general. And there's a lot more of other physical things that I'm excited about too. But I think the web is kind of in the world we live in now and finding that bridge where people aren't ready to be in person. It's definitely bridging that gap for us mm-hmm. and having your device in your pocket. Like no one wants to watch up and touch a screen anymore. They don't want to, you know, that physical interaction people are still gonna be wary of, but I'll touch my phone. And if I can control that from my phone, all day, right? And then I'm right. going to tell my friend about it. Who's going to tell his friend and and her friend? And it's going to be pretty cool. Cool. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, now's the time to talk about Houdini, where people can find Houdini um, on the interwebs and beyond. Houdini dot studio, and there's no dot com. It's just Houdini dot studio, and uh, we're I don't I don't even know our Instagram. Handle. I follow Houdini us. Houdini dot studio. Houdini studio. Houdini studios. Houdini dot studio. Houdini for sure. At yeah. Houdini dot studio. We're we're gonna verify this. Mm. Um, Link below. But I'm gonna add one thing to what Tony said about web technologies, and that's ubiquity. 
everybody knows the internet. Yep. Everybody knows how to navigate the internet. It's it's just easy to make it available on the web. And if you can build it for the web, we can build it for anything. Mm-hmm. Houdini.studio. Yeah. <laughs> and just Instagram, Facebook, look it up. Tony and Penn, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, um, talking about the biz. Um, fun things you guys are doing. Thanks for coming on. We, Eyes yeah. and ears. We, Thank you guys. We're doing. We're, we're doing. Yeah. yeah. We miss you, Bill. I'll say yeah, it. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my last question. I had actually a question here I wanted to ask. Um, where was it? You want Where's your last paycheck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come back to get it. Oh, man. Oh, where did my question go? It was uh, right here, bro. Oh, uh, who was your best employee that recently left the company? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know you're going to say name's Dan. So I have a question. What did I do? Why did you do We'll bring this into After Hours. This is the, yeah. Eyes and Ears After Hours. All right. Eyes and Ears. This is Matt. Still. Cheers.